We're reading from uh, Peter's first letter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to start off today with a story from about two weeks ago. It was the 8th of January, my birthday. And in the lead up to my birthday, my beautiful new wife, Ashley, asked me for some suggestions for presents I like. And the one thing I asked for most was that we'd watch my favourite movie, that is, The Shawshank Redemption. As Ash had never seen The Shawshank Redemption before, I thought it would be an awesome way to spend my birthday. And it's just a brilliant movie. Now, the plot of the movie is that Andy Dufresne, an investment banker, is sent to prison after being convicted for the murder of his wife and the man she was having an affair with. There wasn't any subtle message in that, by the way. As the plot unfolds, we can't help but become more and more attached to Andy as he continually fights off beatings, helps guards file their taxes, and helps use funds to expand the prison library, which he then uses to help other inmates complete their high school education. And as you're watching the movie, you just can't help but notice how out of place Andy is uh, in this prison. He's a stranger to that world and the people in the world of the prison, and that's for a good reason. As the years go by, another inmate, Tommy, arrives, and as he develops a friendship with Andy, Tommy puts together that Andy is actually innocent. You see, Tommy previously spent, uh, shared a cell with someone who confessed with eerie detail to the murder of Andy's wife and her lover. Andy, a wrongfully convicted man, was out of place in that prison, and he always would be a stranger to that world and an exile to the outside world. I start with my sermon with this because, as we'll see in the letter of 1 Peter, it is written to a group of suffering Christians called exiles and strangers, and more directly, aliens. And they're aliens because, as God's people, they don't belong in this world, and they're aliens to it. 
And because they live differently to those in this world, they suffer for it. And they're persecuted for it. In the movie, Andy clings to the hope of getting out as his means of surviving. And the tagline of that movie is, Fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. And we too have a powerful hope we can hold on to, as we'll see today. But before we go any further, would you all please just join with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for the letter of 1 Peter. We thank you, Lord, that you have preserved it for us throughout history. And we thank you for the life-giving, spirit-renewing power in this text. Please, Lord, change hearts and move them towards you in the preaching of these words so that we might seek you and joy in you in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I believe that all of God's word is beautiful and alive and useful to every aspect of the Christian life. And in my own Bible reading, I've been reading through First Peter, and chapter 4 is just full of God's wisdom, which is why we're looking at it together today. But it's important that as we look at this passage to get some context as to who Peter was writing to originally, and who he's writing for now. First Peter was written by none other than, you guessed it, Peter. That is the same Peter who was a disciple of Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, the same Peter who walked on water and sank in the water, the same Peter who was the first to call Jesus Messiah, and the same Peter we hear and read about throughout all the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts. He was a prominent leader in the early church, and he wrote two of the letters that we have in our Bibles today. This is the first one. In this letter, Peter is writing to a group of churches in the area of Asia Minor. And Christians there were facing severe persecution and they were suffering for their faith. And up until chapter 4 in this letter, Peter has been explaining to them that as Jesus suffered in his body, they should expect to suffer too. And as Jesus was an outcast in their society, they should expect the same treatment too. But that doesn't make it any easier to deal with. And he knows that, which is why Peter goes on to encourage people to look to Jesus' attitude on the cross, to look to the way he suffered in our place, and to give exiles and strangers, like you and me, an eternal home with our God and Father. Which raises the question, if this world is not our home, if we're strangers here, what does it look like to live as strangers in this world? What does it look like for us as strangers in this world to live for God? In a world moving further and further away from Christian tradition, we we as Christians must decide whether we'll meet God's expectations or the expectations of our society. In our post-Christian society, Christian values and thinking are becoming more and more rare and more unpopular. It's easy to just go along with everyone else in this world. So we need to ask ourselves this question, how do we live for God? And what does it look like to live for God in this world as a strange people? Because sooner or later, these questions will be asked of us. And the big answer to that question is by looking to Jesus and trusting in him. As Peter says in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in their body is done with sin. Now Christ suffered in his body for us. He suffered and died on the cross to save us, from the punishment of living life our own way, which is what sin is. He died for our sin so that we can trust in him. We are forgiven by God for every and any sin, now and forever. And Peter says this because, Peter says because of this, since Christ suffered in the body for us, the same body that rose from the dead, we can have the same attitude as him as he's the one calling us home. 
Life isn't about living for ourselves in this world. It's about living for him, the one who loves us to death and promises us new heavens and a new earth with him. Sorry, just lost my place. (laughs) Okay. Which means, as Peter says in verse 1, we'll be done with sin. And being done with sin is a strange way of putting it. But think about it like this. Have you ever stopped doing something because something better came along? Because I certainly have. Before Ashley and I started dating, I would spend the majority of my time watching movies and playing video games. There wasn't a movie I'd seen, hadn't seen, or a game I hadn't played that was worth playing. But then something better came along. I met someone I was keen on spending my time with, and I'd even give up those things to happily to spend more time with Ash. It was a happy sacrifice for something better. And that's similar to what being done with sin is. We no longer look to sin and the ways of this world to hope, but we look to Jesus, because Jesus is above and beyond better than the fleeting momentary pleasure that sin brings. Which brings me to my two main points. Since with Jesus we're strangers in this world and we're done with sin, we're to not live for evil human desires and to live so God gets the glory. In living as strangers in this world, Peter tells us, don't live for evil human desires. Because Jesus has done away with our sin, we're free to live for God now. And this means there's no real happiness or joy or fulfillment in the world. And so we don't look to it there. The world is not our home. Our home is with God, now and forever. And so we'll live as strangers here in this world. We're to live differently to the way the world does and expects us to. As Peter says here in verses 2 through 4, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Believers used to live as those in the world do. As Peter says in verse 3, For you have spent enough time doing what pagans choose to do. Believers previously lived for evil human desires and did all sorts of things before they came to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit changed their life and brought them from death to life. But now they no longer live for these evil human desires. Rather, they can live for the will of God. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is alive in them. And now they can live in the world, but not live like those of the world. They can live for the will of God. But as they look to the resolve of Jesus and his attitude towards his death, they can expect that people would find them odd. Peter says in verse 4, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. We are the strangers and aliens in this world, who are not living for themselves, but living for God. Believers can expect to be the odd ones out because, let's face it, we are. Christians can expect to be excluded, ridiculed, mocked and murdered for not going along with the ways of this world. Things like debauchery, lust, drunkenness and orgies. But what about idolatry? The Bible says elsewhere that greed is idolatry. It is that lust or desire for more things of this world. It doesn't have to be the obvious things like money, sex and drugs, but it can be for vacations 
or more me time or home improvements. Bunnings have certainly done well for themselves since we've all been in lockdown. (laughs) It might be that desire to always have the latest thing and spending money we don't have to gain that sense of satisfaction and fulfilment. That stuff, though, is ultimately worthless in an internal perspective. And Peter makes it pretty clear to us that living like this isn't wise in light of eternity. As we read in verse 5, but they will have to give an account to him who is the judge of the living and the dead. And it is sad that those who look to the world for pleasure, uh, it's sad that those in the world look to fleeting, perishing things of this world for hope and fulfilment. As believers, it is worth taking a look into our hearts and asking what we might be putting our hopes in aside from Jesus, because you'll never regret turning away from those things and back to Jesus, because hope in Jesus and the joys of eternity with him are the things that Peter says in chapter 1 will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Unlike anything or anyone else in this world, life with Jesus will never perish, it will never spoil, and it will never fade. Because he'll never let us down, he'll never leave us, and he'll never disappoint us. And so as strangers in this world, we won't be satisfied with the things of this world, with perishable things. We'll look to the eternal things and so live according to God in regard to the Spirit, as Peter says in verse 6. <laughs> For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regards to the Spirit. And wonderfully, it is God himself who enables us to live for him by his Spirit which isn't always easy, but it's worth it. And it is something we can find extreme joy in. Now, in my first year as an apprentice plumber, I worked for a company where I was the only Christian there and the only Christian that many of them knew. It wasn't an easy workplace for a Christian to work in at all. The guys there were simply living for the things of this world and they reveled in it. The joys of sin were all that they lived for. In fact, they were so infatuated with a desire for lust that they couldn't see past the fact that I was different to them and didn't want to join them in the things that they did that that went against the way that God wanted me to live. They would often watch and share things like pornography at work on the job sites together in in a big group, and they try and get me to watch it too, sometimes going as far as shoving a screen in front of my face. Now, me not watching porn at work isn't as drastic a stance on my behalf that I could take, but they couldn't understand why I didn't want to join them. So for the rest of my time working there, my nickname was Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders is the goody-two-shoes, stereotypically Christian character from the animated TV show The Simpsons, who never has any fun. In that moment, it was a hard thing to put up with, to not fit in in my workplace and to have my colleagues belittle me. But over time, I've grown to see that living for God isn't something that will always be easy. It may cause us to be seen as the stranger, the exile and the alien, but we can live for God now because we know him, the one who loved us, though we lived as pagans. He forgave us even when we were dead in our sins and couldn't earn his forgiveness. Living for God now looks like not living for evil human desires. And we're free to live a life for God, a life that is done with sin that isn't afraid to be the stranger, 
and a life that is not only free from the punishment of sin, but one that is free from the slavery to sin. Which leads me to my second point. Living for God now looks like living in such a way that God gets the glory. The second way this passage exhorts us to live a life for God is to live so God gets the glory. As we read in verses 7 through 11, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray, and above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Of a hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should serve with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. To live for God in this strange world is to live so he gets the glory. We're to live in ways that bring praise to God. We're to live in ways that talk up the goodness and glory of God. We're to live in ways that will cause others to seek hope and the joy we have in Jesus. Now, as you know, Ashley and I got married last October, and I'm sure you're all sick of me talking about it, but I just can't help but bring it up. You see, when you love someone, they're on your heart and they're on your mind, and you can't help but talk them up as your heart overflows with their joy. And whenever someone asks Ash and me questions like, how's married life going, or how is it living together, we can't help but just talk up how good it is, as you just want others to share in your joy too. You can't help but try and bring others into the same happiness that you have. And that's rather similar to how Christian life can glorify God. When we live in ways that are different and that exalt him, it's like talking about someone you love. A life oriented towards seeing the one you love praised is not only right, but it's something that is delightful. Now, when you love someone... uh, Sorry. There are four ways to live now so that God gets the glory. But it doesn't mean it won't be hard sometimes. It's helpful to think about it like exercise. The more you do it, the easier it gets, but sometimes it can still be a bit of a slog. And in these verses, Peter gives four examples of the ways that we can live so God gets the glory. And there is so much practical wisdom in these verses that it's worth us slowing down and taking a closer look at them. And the four ways here that Peter lists show how we can live how God gets the glory are... One, pray. As seen in verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert, alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. And often when our, our minister, Matt Ham, gives us practical application in his sermons, you can bet that nine times out of ten it's going to be pray. And that's for a good reason. Prayer is such a wonderfully practical way that God receives glory from us. Because to sincerely pray, at the very least, is to think of God is to have him on our minds more than ourselves. When we look to the Bible for examples of prayer, we see it used in all sorts of ways. We see in the book of Psalms prayers of praise, of supplication, confession, communion, and adoration. And when we look to Jesus' teaching on prayer, we see it packed full with the teaching of dependence and praise and selflessness. Prayer is a way to glorify God and set your heart towards the things of heaven and to think outside ourselves in selflessness. The second way we are to live for God is to forgive as Jesus forgave, as we see in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. 
The love that Peter is talking about here is a costly love. It's a humble love. It's a love that doesn't look to our own interests, but to the interest of others. It's a gospel-like love, and it reflects the way God loved the world. As God gave his only son to cover our sins, so we are to love others in a gracious way where we remember their sins no more. We're called here to love others deeply and forgive in the way that Jesus forgave us. The third way we're to be, um, the third way is to be hospitable. As seen in verse 9, offer hospitality to others without grumbling. When we offer our homes and share meals with people, maybe they're family members, maybe they're co-workers or neighbours who have treated us poorly for our faith, wouldn't it be a tremendous example of the forgiveness and the glory of Jesus for us to do it without grumbling and to do it with joy and gladness? And we can do this because we have a God who is glorious and gracious and forgiving. The fourth and final way to use our gifts to serve others is seen in verses 10 and 11. And it's to use your gifts to serve others so. Now, each of you should use your gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Each and every single one of us here today and listening online has a gift from God that enables them to serve in a way that glorifies him. Some people are good at teaching and will be able to teach in a gracious way that would open the hearts of others to be receptive to the gospel. Some people are wonderful prayers. I listened to a prayer in church recently where someone up the front prayed and it moved me to tears. Some people are great at inviting neighbours to their uh, strangers or neighbours to their house that they otherwise have nothing in common with. That may lead to a meal and a conversation about Jesus. Some have gifts of administration or organisation. Some have a knack for making and managing money. Some are great at encouragers. Whatever your particular gift is, when we use them, we should be mindful of how we're using them so that our words are like that of God in that they are gracious, truthful and faithful. Bringing him all the glory. Sorry. And when we use it, yeah. <laughs> when we use our gifts to serve others well and speak the gospel into people's lives, we can do so with the strength that God provides us. Bringing him all the glory, as seen in the last half of verse 11 here, which is where Peter has been leading us to, and that is that in all things, in all we do, in all our praying, in all our forgiving of others, in all our hospitality, and in all our service of others, we are to do all these things so that in all things Jesus may be praised. And that's the second big way that we live for God. We live so that God gets the glory and praise and honour now and forever. In this passage, Peter helps us to see what it looks like for those who have been saved by sin to live for Jesus. That is, we're to live as strangers in this world by not living for evil human desires and to live so that God gets the glory. And this won't always be easy. You might feel like we don't belong, and that's okay, because we don't. We belong to another, and our home is wonderfully with him. We have something better in store, and what could be better than bringing praise to the one we love for his great love in us, in Jesus, and helping others to do the same. Thank you for having me here today, church. Uh, would you please join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all, though that we are aliens in this strange world. It is the world that you created. 
We ask, Lord, that as we go through this next week, that you would press it on our hearts to live boldly for you. We ask that we would not live for evil human desires, but that you would help us to be done with sin. We pray that you would, that we would live so that in all things, in all we do, you would get all the glory and honour and praise. And we ask this because nothing is better than praising you, Lord, the one that gave us life and life eternal. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.